And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonables Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me, as always, with the hot take cannon fired up this time, Eric Green. What's up, buddy? Pew, pew, pew. Um, that was a hot take cannon, but I didn't want to sound ri- ridiculous. I haven't had any coffee yet either, so I, I could not come in with more energy than that. Not much is going on. How are you, Blake? Uh, I have had a coffee. Uh, I'm questioning your the way you've structured your Monday morning here, if you haven't had your Well, I woke yet. up I woke up 45 minutes before this podcast. Ooh. I brushed my teeth. I took Walter out. And that literally left enough time to make coffee and get on this podcast two minutes late. There you go. Uh, I, on the other hand, had to get up earlier because uh, my building is without uh, water for a couple hours this morning. And I didn't want to run the risk of not having coffee. So it was the irony of waking up earlier and being more tired to make sure you get coffee rather than sleeping in a little longer. What you do in that scenario is you run some water the night before and like put it yes. in a in a jug and then uh, then you know you have water and you don't have yeah, to wake up Yeah, it early. didn't seem that necessary. It's only <laughs> shut down for like two or three hours, so... Yeah, I, 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 I've been there before yeah. uh, in my previous You know your life. boy keeps it hydrated, but yeah, I can yeah. go a little bit of time without water. Yeah, um, but the coffee, no no can do, as our exactly. friends uh, Paula, Notes, Paula Notes used to uh, sing about. They might still sing about it. I don't know if they're touring. They do seem like a, like a, uh, the types that would hit the casino circuit. Uh, Hall oh, notes yeah. or a Vegas residency or something like that. They're great. Like I, I'm not even saying this ironically. They have some awesome '80s songs. Have you ever watched the show The Life and Times of Tim? It was a uh, uh, HBO cartoon. Do you think I have? <laughs> yeah. No, I saw. I love that show. I, I'm not sure I shot, saw all of it. I currently okay. own the first season on DVD. Um, nice. I'm not yeah. sure what season it is, but the reason I bring it up is that the boss and his dog go as Hall and Oates for <laughs> Halloween in one episode. He like he has a little goatee on the dog. <laughs> yeah, that show was awesome. Uh, it's great. And there was some heavy identification with Tim. Yeah, which uh, doesn't say a lot of good things about you, I don't think. Yeah, well, he's just trying to make it in this world while not putting out much of, eff- uh, of an effort at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also love the Hank Williams song as the uh, the opening for that one. <laughs> anyway, this is not the uh, the life and times of Tim. This is the Raptors Reasonables podcast. Uh, if you can't tell from the banter that has nothing to do with Raptors three minutes in, um, less is going to matter this week, guys. We are uh, we're at the finish line here on the 2020 2021 season. As a reminder, um, obviously ahead, we're going to have a lot of off-season content. We're going to have draft stuff. We're going to have free agency stuff. We're going to have kind of, you know, autopsy stuff on on the season that was. So if you're not subscribed to the written side of The Athletic, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six. 
or click off of any of our articles to get a, a discounted subscription right now uh, for $3.99 a month, which is uh, a pretty good deal. And the next, if you're ever going to try us out on a discounted deal or a seven-day trial or anything like that, uh, I would imagine that the three months ahead are a pretty good time because we're going to have um, Canada trying to qualify for the Olympics, we think, in, uh, in the Olympic qualifying tournament. Uh, we are going to have... The Raptors heading into free agency, which means we'll be doing cap primers and potential free agent targets and, and trade scenarios. We're going to have the draft for which the Raptors are going to have a pretty good pick in a pretty fun draft. So we'll and two second rounders. Two second rounders, baby. Or is it three two. second rounders? Two. The Raptors. Two. Oh, so they traded away. That was traded yes. away to Fergusal, right? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember which was which, but they ha- they owe three future seconds: one yeah. for Gasol and then one for the Monroe and Malachi salary dumps. What a time! All right. Yes. Uh, so yeah, we'll be breaking all that stuff down. Um, you know, the second round picks are more about nine hundred five basketball, but uh, you can see the returns from that with things like Jalen Harris playing really well this week. Uh, not. Everything matters, you know? Um, so the Raptors went 0-3 this week. So we're going to have tons of that off-season content um, and really legitimately urging you to subscribe because uh, I do think we have some good stuff planned and this is going to be a very interesting off-season for the Raptors uh, on several fronts. Um, you know, I think the one people are most excited about is the draft, but there are some tough, bigger-picture direction questions about how they handle free agency and the trade market. This week, however, is kind of just playing out the string. So we've been watching the Raptors in two races over the last couple of weeks. We've been watching their race to the play-in game or their race to uh, a higher lottery pick. As we speak today, that's not entirely settled, but it's mostly settled. The Raptors had an 0-3 week that, you know, if you are a pro tank or pro lottery pick person, uh, you love this week. They played three very fun, very competitive games. Some young guys had really good showings, and they lost all three. The Raptors are currently not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, but they would have to win out, the Pacers would have to lose out, and the Bulls would have to cooperate uh, for the Raptors to make the play-in game. So they are their magic number is down to one to be eliminated. That's one loss, which is probably coming on Tuesday against the Clippers or one win from Indiana, and the Raptors are toast in the play-in. The benefit of that, of course, is that the Bulls have won more games than you might have expected down the stretch, and for some reason, the Sacramento Kings are on fire and hurting their lottery chances. For some reason, or for the best player of all time uh, in the world reason? Yes, possibly that. Taking, taking Does De'Aaron Fox have to come off the bench when he's healthy? Because... Because of DeLon, who's to say? I mean, um, I wouldn't, I'd have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, no, the Clippers have, or the, the Kings have gone eight and four down, down the stretch here. Uh, and what that has done is given the Raptors a two game cushion in the lottery standings where the Raptors would currently, if the season ended right now, Raptors would have the seventh best lottery odds, which is a seven and a half percent chance at the number one pick, 31.9% chance at a top four pick. And it means their average pick would be 6.2. They couldn't pick lower than 11th, and picking any lower than, like, 10th would be a statistical anomaly. Um, They are not going to be able to bottom out further because they're, like, six games behind the next worst team, behind, quote-unquote. 
you know, Orlando and Minnesota are, are six game and Cleveland are all tied and it's six games back. So the Raptors can't catch them. Um, but they've done a good job to hold off Chicago and Sacramento <laughs> to where if they lose to the bull or sorry, if they, yeah, if they lose to the bulls later this week, the we're going to be pretty close to the Raptors having locked in uh, the number seven lottery odds. If they were to lose out or even win one game. Yeah, their their magic number for clinching it is well, how many are it's two, right? The Kings are or the Bulls are the next closest? Or the Kings? Yeah, the, uh, the Bulls are the next closest, but no, because because they play against each other. Yeah. Uh it's a little tough. If they lose the Chicago game, they've got it locked up basically. Yes. Uh but if they were to go, you know, like two and two and the Bulls lose out or something like that, they could they could fall into a tie. But they're they're in very good position, is what I'm saying. Yeah, so, and and the one thing I want to add because I was asked it on Twitter, like normal tiebreakers do not uh, apply to lottery standings. If you finish tied, you split the lottery odds and the lottery combinations, and then there is a coin flip to determine who would draft ahead of the other, assuming neither team or if it's a three-way tie, any of the three teams uh, don't move up. Uh, so. You tie, you split the odds, and there's a coin flip to determine who would pick, who would slot ahead in the uh, standings if everything goes as planned. Correct. Uh, so you're looking at a scenario for Orlando, Minnesota, and Cleveland, where normally the, these lottery odds have changed now where the bottom four teams all have the same odds. But we could be heading for a situation here where uh, the bottom two or bottom three teams have odds and then three through six because Oklahoma City is only a half game off those teams we could potentially have three through six splitting up all those odds uh so it could be uh could be a pretty bizarre one that would uh, be like the that'd be like night. the playoff year where uh three through six I think in the east all finished 48 and 24 or, or whatever the 34. 34 thank you um I believe that was the year the Raptors went to the Eastern Conference Finals uh but I'm not uh, and lost and lost to the Cavs. Uh, I think Miami, Boston, Charlotte, and maybe Atlanta were all for you. Are correct. All right. Wow, look at that. Uh, Good right. year for the East. The Pistons were the eight seed, and they were 44 and 38. The, that, that is two teams in the East were over 500 and missed the playoffs that year. Wow. What a I season. The East is back. I, I, yeah. Let's go read those head, those stories. <laughs> uh, you know what helped all those teams pile up winning records? The Sixers going 10 and 72. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but they but yeah. they beat the... No, no, no. That's, I'm thinking I'm conflating yeah. gears now. Anyway, the, go on. The Raptors won 56 games that year, uh, in part because the bottom three teams in the East were all in their division. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no longer the case. The Atlantic. Yeah, no, it's a good division now. Um, okay, so we've laid out a lot of that stuff, and, and I don't want to dismiss the week ahead. We'll touch on it a little bit before we before we uh, outro at the end. These games are still real. The player, the performance of the young guys still matters. Um, you still want to see some growth as they lose these couple of games, and hey, you might even want to see a Kyle Lowry game or two. Um, so, having said that, these standings are we've talked about them. Every week on the podcast, the, the play and chase and the lottery chase and the growth of the young guys, it seems a little tired to do it again. And we're going to have so much draft and free agency and offseason content in the months ahead, um, both here and at theathletic.com slash Raptors or theathletic.com slash we the north um, or we the six rather. My bad. 
Um, so we're going to take this week off a little bit and we're going to do a little something different. We are going to do a take purge for the 2020, 2021 season. Uh, Eric, explain to us what the take purge is and, and where we're borrowing this idea from. Yeah. Um, we're not borrowing it. We're just taking it. Um, but, but yeah, we're not uh, going to give it back. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, it's theirs. They're welcome to it. Uh, one of the weird things that's happened during the pandemic for me is I've gotten more into football and fantasy football, and I'm not proud of this, but I'm just saying that's a thing that's happened. Uh, and I've, I've listened to a few fantasy football co- podcasts, including the Ringer fantasy football podcast. And um, ahead of the NFL draft, they all sort of, uh, the team there at their podcast, uh, Danny Heifetz and uh, Danny Kelly, um, and their producer, uh, had a take purge. And the idea was just to sort of, you know, for our purposes, let's say, to like, you don't have to couch everything in reasonableness, in reasonableness, and you don't have to be wholly logical Let's just some say some things on your mind that, you know, you sort of believe to be true and, and sort of cleanse your soul. Like things you've been maybe wanting to scream or, or like 95% believe and, and just really unburden yourself. Uh, so what we're going to do with this um, is we're going to have a strong take and that doesn't, that's not the same as a hot take. Uh, a strong take is something, you know, that we like truly believe to be the case. Uh, and, but maybe we're going to say it a little more forcefully than we've got at it before. Uh, a kind of believe it take, which is something we're not sure about, but sort of think. And then a wild take that's maybe something we believe like, you know, 15 to 20%. Like, we think it's definitely a possibility, but we wouldn't bet our life's work on it or, you know, our modest savings incomes. Uh, So, uh, uh, and then we'll, you know, we'll just fire off the take gun at the end. Uh, And the idea is really to get out some frustration with a frustrating year and and just, you know, to create a sort of different uh, listening experience for you guys and, and... Maybe to force ourselves to get a bit more declarative than we're accustomed to being because of both of our natures. That's true. Uh, all right. So we have some takes lined up. Again, we're going to go a uh, strong take that we firmly believe, a medium take that we probably believe, and then a wild take that's a little bit out there. And then if we have time, we're going to do some rapid fire takes at the end. Uh, Eric, this is your idea. I will give you first pick in the... Uh, we're making it a draft now (laughs) yeah i don't know well like you you put yours in the dock first so i had to change one of mine oh i'm uh, sorry because it was the same as one of yours or it was just like we'll talk about it so your your medium take mine was similar okay um Um, so uh, you go ahead what's your your strong take here Eric? yeah uh so i think messiah ujiri and bobby webster and the raptors front office will regret not trading kyle lowry at the trade deadline, uh, they will not admit it publicly because that's not what you do. And there are reasons to not make that trade. Uh, one is to look like you are a strong negotiator and, and you can't be pushed over because the market isn't 
developing the way you want. Uh, one is, uh, you know, related is not getting the perceived value that you think for a franchise player and the trades that were being offered weren't quite up to, again, to your expectations, but also just to the the sort of agreed upon value of Kyle Lowry, who is a very, very good player in the NBA. Uh, and when you look around the league, uh, I mean, you can't say similar players have been traded because there aren't many similar players in terms of age and impact and, and contract status to Kyle Lowry, but there's certainly been like a few huge blockbuster trades. And while nobody was expecting that given Lowry's 35 and uh, on the last year of his contract, uh, you would have, maybe liked a bit more than, I mean, not maybe, they definitely wanted more than they were being offered. Uh, at the same time, the reasons for keeping them beyond that sort of, you know, presenting as a stronger negotiator, uh, maybe that you re-sign him in the offseason, maybe that you can work out a sign and trade. Uh, I think whatever happens, and right now, I this is not a take, but sure, this can go in bonus take fashion, uh, uh, bonus t territory. I think Kyle Lowry will leave in free agency, probably to Miami. Um, and I think it will just be very hard for them to turn the, if there is a sign and trade, I sort of think it will be a nominal one. Uh, I don't think create that trade exception. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which could be valuable, but like even, uh, you know, we've seen, who are you Danny Ainge? Yeah. But trade, the, yeah. Trade, a trade, trade exception you could use, but don't, uh, well, they're hard to use. I mean, yeah. they're, you know, I'm sure Danny Ainge wants to. I'm not giving him carte blanche for, you know, saying we have this. Maybe we'll be able to use it all the time. But like the reason he doesn't is because it's not so simple. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, and I'm not I don't know exactly what was on the table, but I think the front office will believe, at, um, you know, maybe a few months from now that they might have been better off trading Kyle Lowry rather than keeping him here. And certainly they got very, by choice, cut very little value from him uh, in the second or the last six weeks of the season. Yeah, I'm, uh, I don't totally agree. I, I think obviously if he leaves for nothing in the offseason, it's going to look bad. And, um, you know, I, I, I do have some trouble with the, language sometimes of like oh you lost the guy for nothing you didn't lose yeah. him for nothing you got the greatest raptor of all time and a championship out of it but the pattern of guys from that championship core everyone except norm leaving for no return is a bad way to keep the uh the depth chart restock which is part of why both of us i think we're in the you got to deal norm camp and leaning toward the you got to deal kyle camp back at the deadline um now I think there's a semi-interesting offseason scenario where Lowry is back. Yep. Um, you have to buy a little bit of the uh, kind of like underlying metrics of this year and the like, okay, well, they went 9-15 and 15 down the stretch, but nobody played and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I could see your take coming to fruition as I ended my article uh, today, that Kyle Lowry thing could look a lot better in August or could look a lot, it could look even worse in yeah. August. Yeah. Um like, I, I still think it's defensible not to move him. I don't think there was, like, a no-doubt trade on the table uh, by the sounds of things. But I, I just think turning some—making something happen in the summer, giving the leverage that they're going to have, uh, is far, far, far from a sure thing. And 
you know, they, they when they didn't move him, they gave up most of the leverage. That's fair. Uh, all right, you ready for my strong take? I am, Blake. The clutch issues have masked that otherwise Pascal Siakam has been better this year than last year when he made second team All-NBA. I like that the swerve here is with your strong take, you're going positive. Yeah. I mean, there's the discourse around Siakam is sucked. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He has been very bad in clutch scenarios, which is not something you can gloss over because those as small as that sample is, it's all the sample we have to go off in those scenarios. He obviously needs to improve his decision making and his execution down the stretch. Um, The Raptors might need to think about being a more kind of team offense oriented offensive attack late in games rather than a hand it to this guy and let him go. However, because of that, I feel like people have kind of missed that Siakam has, for the most part, been pretty good this year. I think the slight decrease in usage got him back to a more uh, reasonable level for his skill set. His true shooting percentage is down this year, uh, but almost all of that is baked into three-point shooting variants. Um, you know, he's not shooting corner threes anymore. It's a lot of pull-ups above the break. They're, they're tougher shots. And some of it is just like over a whole season of three-point shooting, you're going to have ups and downs. Like we've seen that with Kyle Lowry's whole career and, you know, every volume three-point shooter except for Steph Curry has those kind of ups and downs. More important for me is that Siakam has a, uh, he's back to basically even with his career high free throw rate from 2018, 2019. Um, he's traded in some of those threes. He's shooting fewer threes by volume, which is what you want to see from him when his three-point shot's not there. And the resulting volume has been spread across different areas of the floor, primarily in the floater range, that kind of four to 10 foot range. And he is in, he hasn't gotten, he's basically the same finisher that he was, which isn't elite, but it's, it's solid. Um, and you know, one of the bigger criticisms about his, finishing approach in the past is that he didn't have those counters when a defense sells out to protect the rim or he gets a little out of control or whatever. He's taken a lot more shots in that floater range this year, and he's been more effective on them. He's also been more effective um, in the mid range from both 10 to 16 feet and from 16 feet to the three point line, which, you know, shot spectrum wise are not shots that you want him to take a ton, but they're shots he needs to have in his bag. More importantly to where the team is going and how you're going to continue to build this offense is that he's at a career high assist percentage with a career low turnover percentage. And when you're carrying the load that he is in the offense, and especially when you, if you want to dig into a lot of the lineups he's played with this last third of the (laughs) season, um, him becoming a more effective playmaker against greater attention and making fewer mistakes is really encouraging, I think, to where he's going in terms of how he reads the game and how you build a cohesive offense around him. I would also say that he's been better defensively this year than last year, though he's still not back to kind of his 2018-2019 all-defense level. Um, So you take all that together. Yes, he shot the three worst. The crunch time stuff absolutely needs work and it needs work from a process perspective and a results perspective and maybe like a broader team strategy perspective but zooming out on the whole you've got 60 games of pascal siakam last year you've got 56 games of pascal siakam this year this year's version has been better uh i don't disagree um especially compared to post bubble 
not even the bubble, like, let's say into 2020, like the, the end of 2019 was great for Siakam for the most part. Uh, and then 2020, once he got back, it was a bit more uneven. Uh, there are, like, the, as you mentioned, there are th- things to work on. I, I think the turnover, the career low assist rate and turn, uh, career, career high low, assist yeah, yeah, sorry, career low turnover rate. Uh, it's notable because I think part of those crunch time uh, failures has been ball handling wise. Like he's had some awkward turnovers in those moments. He's barreling ju- into guys. Yeah, yeah, it's not just missed shots, right? So I, I think that's what sticks out with people. And uh, I've tweeted this a few times, but like when I'm thinking about Pascal's offseason work, uh, it's hard for me sometimes to separ- to think, you know, is it finishing or is it ball handling that is really the bigger priority? And I, I think the answer is like, it has to be some sort of like strength work that's going to help you. Like he's not great at absorbing contact in either context, I would say. Yeah, um, I mean, and- his his and one finishing rate is up. Uh, hmm. since, since, um, April, well, it's down compared to last year overall, Yeah. but since April it's back up. I think, I think it's something like based on cleaning the glasses numbers, like 31% of the times he gets fouled on a shot, he makes the, the basket and, and gets the and hmm. one. So that's, that's not elite, but it's not bad. Yeah. I, w- I will say that the concern with the strength stuff is, um, you know, Siakam pretty notably talked about how he lost 10 or 15 pounds, uh, when he was out in health and safety protocols. And I think that. I don't want to like overfit the the correlation here, um, but I've always kind of thought that Siakam looks a little better when he's speed. Like I think I think the speed is a bigger advantage for him, yeah, against other other wings and forwards than the strength is a giant weakness. Like obviously you want to get more functionally strong to yes. finish around the rim, but I don't think you want Pascal Siakam to like try to bulk up through the shoulders or anything like that. I think it's it's more functional strength because in your offense, he's the three, right? Like he's, that's how you want him playing. You don't want, when his back's to the basket, it's with the intention of playmaking. Um, you know, I, I think he's, uh, yeah, I think you you just want to maintain that speed advantage. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I, I just think, you know, maybe some core stuff, maybe some lower body stuff. So he's not going up um, off balance. Like, like the and one finishing rate, that's great. But he goes off off balance. He goes up rather off yeah. balance a lot, and I think there is. And, and you know, I, I think people have made fun of. I've made fun of of it, like him yelling "and one," you know, seven times a game. And the reality is, he's taking a bit of contact, maybe not foul worthy contact, and and losing his balance in the air, and or not, and that's something that needs to be corrected like you want to be square as often as possible um and uh to in order to finish so uh i think there's probably a happy medium to to strike and i agree you don't want to do it at the expense of the advantages he does bring from that position for for sure but you know unquestionably as a playmaker you know leaps and bounds better than than last year uh, I agree his defense was better than last year, even though th- there have been times that that has not been the case. Uh, yeah, he just seems like a more complete player to me. Uh, and for sure, the, the clutch stuff uh, 
This is stuff that will live on because seasons are defined by wins and losses as they, you know, for the most part should be. Yeah. Uh, All right, we got to go a little quicker with these other ones because that was uh, longer than I expected. So I'm going to go first for this one, uh, mostly because your take in this section is related to my take in the next section. So so this is like a kind of believe it take that we like moderately hold. Like I believe this, but like I would I would hear reasonable arguments against it. And mine is that the center position was resolvable a lot earlier than it was actually addressed. Um, they obviously, they moved on from Alex Len very early and they kept that roster spot open for a long time. Um, they probably could have traded for Kem Birch, um, which would have cost you an asset, but you would have had his bird rights and you would have had him earlier. Um, I think some of the Aaron Bain stuff, I thought he was really bad early in the season. And then I thought, I thought he was mostly just like put in a bad position after a while where once his play stabilized, he was still just like, you know, he had he had gotten where like if he was playing 12, 14 minutes a game, you'd be OK with it. But he was playing like 20, 25 as a starter. And like at that point, I mean, we know how it goes. The the fans had locked on to Baines as the issue. Um, so I think the combination of you had open roster spots that you could have used to churn through some young guys or you know, Dwayne Dedman and John Henson were out there. Uh, maybe you could have made a move for for Ken Birch a little earlier. Uh, the combination of those things, I, I just think, you know, we talked about it a little bit in our back and forth last week that the center position probably cost them, you know, maybe four wins on the season. And I think it could have been addressed earlier in like fairly cost-effective fashion. Uh, and it wasn't. And that was a, a choice. And with where they are now, you're probably okay with that choice, uh, given that, you know, four wins would have put them in even weirder lottery <laughs> purgatory. But yeah, that could have been addressed earlier. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, I fully agree. I, I think I've I've written as much uh, in my piece that criticized the front office for not addressing it earlier. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, even if you just want to look at Ken Birch, like the Raptors had lots of salaries that would have worked with a trade for him and, and the Magic's needs. You know, I don't think they were so in love with Kem Bert, Birch being a, an option at power forward <laughs> that <laughs> that they uh, they wouldn't have made a move to maybe get a, a you know take a flyer on, on one of the guys the Raptors ended up trading for a second round pick, um, and you know that would have brought Kem Bert's trade or bird rights with you. Not that that's a huge deal, as I think we discussed last week, uh, but that was bad um, because whatever. Whatever you think about, you know, you said they've ended, it's probably for the best or, or you're probably fine with where it is now because it, it would have resulted in 
a stranger spot uh, for the Raptors, they were trying to win games. Like, you can't deny that. Like, for the first half of this season and into the second half, their goal was to win games, make the playoffs, be pesky. And during all of that, they decided not to address the glaring hole on the team. And as you said, that's a choice. Uh, We don't, in terms of picking somebody off the street uh, who wasn't playing, we know what the cost was in terms of maybe making a trade. We don't know what the cost was, but we can speculate. Uh, And I would say it was probably affordable uh, in terms of the upgrade that they they were looking for. And uh, I think they deserve to be criticized for it, for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, they've probably lost a lot of money being in Tampa, so I get it. But uh, yeah. It's not a, it could have, could have been handled. All right, Eric, your, your medium take. Let's yeah. Um, so Nick Nurse's constant searching uh, for end of the rotation pieces, particularly at the beginning of the year, hurt the Raptors and probably cost a few wins. Now I get it. They were struggling awfully. And this, you, you got to remember Norm Powell to start the year before he, became like the Raptors' most consistent player somehow. Was uh, extremely bad. Was very bad. Um, I think the somehow is also he was healthy. That that was the somehow <laughs> uh, of how he stay, became the most consistent player. But uh, he was very bad. So the Raptors were down to basically Kyle uh, Siakam, who was having his own struggles, Van Vliet, Boucher, OG. Um, and it was very hard for them to... Uh, and. You know, it's hard to win playoff series with five guys you trust, let alone make it through a stretch of uh, condensed regular season with that. So Nurse was just trying to sort of, you know, he was whack-a-moling it, trying to cover up some uh, some holes of the team. Uh, but he went a bit quickly for my take. Uh, Matt Thomas out of the rotation after three games. He played... 30, 46 minutes in the first three games and then didn't play for another four games after that and, and was basically a non-factor in the rotation largely for the rest of the year. DeAndre Bembry uh, played in the first two games. There might have been an injury there. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think so, but there might have been, but he only played uh, 10, 11 minutes in the first two games and then he never played after all we talked about him in preseason. He never played into the double digits in minutes until the 16th game of the year against the Indiana Pacers. Uh, so that was sort of the plan. Those were going to be the two sort of non big. So like Chris Boucher was the other guaranteed piece who was going to come off the bench. Uh, and they were out of the rotation pretty quickly. And it's not like they landed on something that was great. Yeah, like, yeah, Stanley Johnson had his moments for sure. Um, But if you look at his overall impact on the season and his, like, numbers like his net rating and and all that. He's the tank commander. Yeah, he he was not good this year uh, while acknowledging that he does provide things that are more valuable than necessarily show up in those stats. Uh, the Bain situation, the center situation was obviously a huge problem and, and that's not necessarily, uh, in nurse's control. Uh, you know, maybe he could have moved on from Baines and tried going smaller a bit earlier, but there were health issues. Uh, but it's mostly at the wing that I have this concern because like you, you look 
at you know all the guys they had from Thomas to Bembry to Davis to to Utah to Watson. Uh, I'm sure I, I'm missing somebody there. Uh, it, I don't think he ever to Flynn. Um, he just didn't stick with anybody quite long enough when the season was still up for grabs to try and solidify that spot. And when, when you start two and eight, it's really hard, hard to do that. But I'm sort of saying he started doing this before they were two and eight. And, you know, if it works, you know, you're right. And being more desperate makes sense, but it didn't work. They didn't write the ship really. uh, And when they did, it wasn't necessarily because of the changes he made. It, It was more of, uh, what started, you know, some more reliable health and and being, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I don't need to believe. I have part. a I have a follow up take yeah. here that's not a part of our our list, but I think my follow up take from hey, uh, you couldn't find anyone that worked early in the season. You were you know flipping through guys. I'm actually like I'm I'm mostly fine with trying different guys and giving guys different opportunities. But I will say this is two years in a row where Nick Nurse deemed all of the new guys unplayable uh, for the first, you know, eight or 10 games of the season and had a really short rotation and a really short leash for guys. And I think that we might need to conclude from that. And again, it was like a very short training camp. So there's there are caveats here. But uh, I think maybe the defense needs to be a little more simplified early in the season um, because if you only have six or seven guys who can execute it, uh, you're probably, you know, the, the cost of running such a tight rotation and, and, you know, not getting guys reps for later in the year probably outweighs the benefit of sticking to your system uh, tightly. Now, I, I think there are some questions the analytics side and the, the front office is going to have to ask about, um, you know, their, the three-point volume and three-point percentage they've surrendered this year uh, as a cost of that defensive system. But more from a more controllable aspect, I, I do wonder if it needs to be a little simpler early in the year so that more guys can um, be in the mix and you can get a read on more guys. And then you, you know, you slowly, we, we always hear coaches talk about how they don't put a ton of offense in early in the year and you, you add to the package as the year goes on. I wonder if maybe that needs to be uh, a defensive thing, given the complexity and aggression with their uh, base defense. Uh, that's a yeah, it's an interesting take. Uh, I was wondering this, uh, and I forgot to look it up until right now. Uh, the Raptors, I, I believe they're they played the seventh most zone defense this year. Um, so that includes things like box and one, triangle and two, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which was down from last year. I believe they were second last year, uh, but still very good, uh, mm-hmm. allowing nine or 0.932 points per possession uh in zone so it doesn't necessarily show it in that but i i i agree like uh i, I think there's a lot of work or, or not work uh they're gonna have to sort of do some soul searching and certainly a lot of tape uh watch a lot of tape in terms of how complicated and and they want to keep things and how aggressive they want to keep things uh going forward but that's you know, I'm more concerned about the offense and the defense going forward. Uh, for gotcha. sure. Uh, okay, now we're into the wild take portion. So you said that Nick Nurse's constant searching cost him a few wins earlier in the year. Uh, my, like, kind of hot, silly take here is that uh, of late, 
Nick has been intentionally changing up the starting lineups so that that number that keeps getting cited gets higher and higher. So, you know, it's one thing if like, oh, they used a lot of starting lineups this year because of injuries and roster changes and stuff. And now it's no, they blew away every franchise record for a number of different starters and lineups and starting lineups used. And they've averaged a new starting lineup every two games for the entire season. Uh, I think... Nick's been leaning into it ever since, you know, there was that four game stretch uh, in late April where the same starters got played all four games before everyone started getting rested again. And I think a little before that, and then certainly since then, he's changed it up every game with intention. He wants that. He wants that number as high as possible. Uh, I mean, there's no way that like, I I certainly don't believe you. Uh, (laughs) Like, I don't believe this take. I, I, I don't believe he's trying to do that, uh, but there's part of him, certainly, that loves to experiment. So whether he's doing it consciously or not... I just think it would be a very, like, Nick Nurse thing to, like, five years down the line, hear him talking about, like, well, we had that one Raptors team where I had to use more different starting lineups than than any team in, in NBA history... Uh, or whatever. I don't know what the they're not. Yeah, they're is, not but. even first this year. I don't think. I think Brooklyn is first. Um, ah, that would make sense. Uh, yeah, I think they might be like fourth or fifth, but I, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but it is anyway. A, you, you get what I'm getting at. Yes, uh, it's been so, a while. Like, it's the new. He's running out of G League and uh, and Britain stories, so he's got to he's got to start manufacturing yeah, some. You, uh, you got, the, the Nets have only used one more starting lineup than the Raptors. Oh, I think they've caught up recently. Okay, um, but anyway. Uh, what a, yeah, it's it's been wild. Uh, you would think like he would bring back Baines or something like that yeah. in, in order to get more possible combinations, but uh, they've probably agreed to end his season. He's heard anyway. For, oh yeah, um, that's uh, who who okay. who could forget. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, what is your uh what's your uh wild take or however you want to yeah um so i'm going to change the wording that i have in the doc here uh i do think that playing in tampa has been a legit bummer for some of the players 
certainly for the organization. Uh, I'm not sure how comfortable they ever got there. I don't think it impacted their win-loss record. I'm just oh, going to wow. say it. Uh, Strong disagree. Um, I don't think it had a big impact on their overall tone of their season. Not tone, because that implies narrative. But I think the players were just fine uh, in terms of where they played. It was not ideal. But I think that, you know, the warm weather, the taxes, all the things they signed up for... They didn't end up necessarily hating. Uh, would they rather have been in Toronto? Sure. Would they rather have been fans, had fans cheering for them? Absolutely. But it's not like they were walking into, you know, road arenas where it was, uh, you know, Madison Square Garden on a, you know, during an awesome Knicks season or anything. Like it's not, there wasn't that level of discrepancy going on. Uh I think that if they had played in Toronto in this specific season, uh, so like with all the pandemic rules in effect, I don't think their record would have been significantly different. Um, there is, uh, so uh, numbers wise, there's a, a little bit of, of backup for you here. There's they're 16 and 18 in quote unquote home and 11 and 23 on the road. Um, yeah, that adds up. Uh, so 16 and 18 at home, 11 and 23 on the road. So they're five games better at home. So that would suggest some sort of, um, comfort level, uh, playing at home or, or being a little more effective at home. Uh, but I think you're, I think you're stretching the, uh, limits of, of this take. I, I, think I think you are stretching the limits of this take. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, all right. Well, well, we'll just leave uh, that. I, I'm just, I'm not going to unpack the entire season again, yeah. but I, I disagree that Tampa hasn't had a material results, uh, based. Yeah. Event. Like, don't get me wrong. I think it was a bummer for them. And I, I don't want to say it didn't impact the players on some level, like a particularly in terms of their mental health and, and their mindset. I just am skeptical about how much it impacted the win-loss record. That's all. Um, all right. Uh, so now we're going to go rapid-fire takes. Uh, uh, these yeah. are or bonus takes, as you have them in our in our little sheet here. Uh, so you go ahead first. You you got a big one that uh, you know our our Japanese audience is going to appreciate. Um, you know, hopefully Takeshi's tuned in here. Uh, had a nice little chat <laughs> yeah. with Takeshi the other day, by the way. He's uh, uh, he's a good dude. And Alex, you can Wong read about him at the New York him. Times. <laughs> yeah, a great piece from from our pal Alex Wong. So, uh, Eric, your your first rapid fire. Yeah. Piece. So I mentioned Nick Nurse's constant searching uh, earlier, and I think Utah, when he got back from injury, should have been back in the rotation rather quickly, and it didn't happen. And I get why it didn't happen. I, I think that was coming off sort of their so his ankle injury was i want to say like february like early february ish maybe uh and that's sort of when the raptors got their blank together and and they had those wins uh terrence davis was having some moments as, as like a scorer off the bench and that seemed necessary given what was you know what's been a season-long struggle but i think utah's play while seeing what nick nurse was saying in terms of sort of his hesitancy once he got into the middle of the 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 defense 
if he had to like if they ran him off the three-point line and he was driving he was not making the best best decisions in the world but this guy is so obviously one of the better defensive players on the team um that i'm not sure i'm buying what he's been selling recently about just like the level of the ankle injury continued to affect him. I, I think there was a legitimate learning curve that he had to get over. And I think he would have got through the learning curve. Uh, and again, that learning curve is mostly on offense if he had just kept on playing. And what he was doing defensively and what he has done defensively all season, uh, I think it fits with what the Raptors want to do, being switchable, being flexible. And I think there shouldn't have been as an extended time that he was out of the rotation. Uh, all right. Uh, not similar, I guess, but one of mine, and I've written about this, and anyone who follows me on Twitter knows how I feel about this. Uh, the Raptors went a long stretch with two roster spots open, and when they did occasionally 10-day guys, uh, there were gaps in there. And then one of the 10 days, they opted to reward Henry Ellenson for his Raptors 905 play, uh, even though, in my estimation, Alizé Johnson was the best 905-er. Part of that was Ellenson knew the system after two years with the 905 and training camp and everything. Um, and he was a center who could do some pick-and-pop stuff in their offense. Um, just, I guess my take is they're going to regret that, uh, both being cheap in those spots and trying out Henry Ellenson over Alizé Johnson. Because, I mean, the... Small sample performance for Alizé Johnson right now is out of this world, but I thought coming into camp during the 905 season and continue to think that he's a real NBA player, and I think the rat, he's going to be kind of a 905-er who got away. Uh, yeah. And, and it was only really because of money and want, and wanting a look at a guy with five years of NBA experience who we already know isn't an NBA player. Um that's why they will have lost out on Alize. Shots fired at Tolzman. Yeah, I mean Tolzman loves Big Hank, but who doesn't? I uh, this isn't, I think this is, Big Hank this isn't is a Big Hank slander, certainly. Yeah, look, he's a very nice person. He's an extremely gifted scorer, um, but there's a reason that he hasn't stuck or like elevated or whatever to the next level. Um, and I think Alize was more deserving of a shot. And I think the fact that he's Kevin Durant's favorite player <laughs> says a lot. Um, anyway, so that's one of my one of my hotter uh, takes. Eric, do you have any rapid fire ones here? Um, we... Nothing I can say on this podcast. <laughs> ah, okay, uh, I'll give you one more. Um, he's not going to be in the mix for any awards because he's missed twenty five games and played forty three. Uh, had the season been a little more normal, or OG got to play the whole season and had continued progressing as he did. Uh, not only would he have made all defense, he would have got some down ballot votes for most improved player, but the games total, both because people will look at the games total to filter who they're voting for. And because it cost him 25 games of development. And we saw how quickly he was starting to put things together um, for both of those reasons. He won't, but uh, a different year of OG Ananobi would have been in, Borderline double award territory. Yeah, I um, I was just listening to the the low post, uh, and he had you know friend of yours and mine alike, Tim Bonton, on uh, Tim Bonton. to talk about uh, all defense, and 
uh, one of their sort of guys they were considering and talking about was OG. He was the only Raptor they were talking about. And they did mention the games played thing and how that, you know, ultimately I agree that's going to keep him out. But I think Tim called him maybe the best on-ball defender in the league, which I'm not sure is true, but it's not far from being true if it's not. And like, there really aren't many guys who can credibly guard any position in the league and he can more than credibly do it, uh, even with some of the bigger centers, uh, I mean, if you look at his career to date, he's had a lot of unfortunate moments. Hopefully, like the injury-related ones of those, um, he can get rid of. And that, uh, you know, this calf strain thing isn't something that lingers into the offseason. And, you know, certainly good to see them being cautious. Uh, But yeah, he was like, you know, I don't think this is a, a take I mean, it's a take. I don't think it's a particularly hot one, but I think he was not the best player necessarily for the Raptors this year, but the most positive, you know, story for this year was his growth uh, on both ends. Any other ones before we wrap up here? No, I'm good. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm good. All right. So uh, look ahead. Oh, by the way, let us uh, know in on Twitter replies or in the comments or whatever um, what your spicy take purges are. Uh, although you guys let us know all the time, so you probably haven't bottled them up. Yeah, the do you feel way. better? Do you feel a little better, a bit, a bit looser, Blake, after having gone no, from No, those? honestly, I just feel like we need to write them now. Um, so I feel like we just created more work. Wow. But there's that's a, fine. That's a, the only a, thing I like doing anyway. There's a lot of off-season, baby. Yeah. Uh, okay. In the week ahead, the Raptors will play the Clippers at the Bulls at the Mavericks, and they will close out the season against the Pacers on Sunday. We don't know the time for that game yet, but Shams reported yesterday that all 15 games will tip off between 12 and 3.30. Thank uh, you, MLB NBA. Final. Thank you, Pardon? NBA. I just love yeah. the NBA. Perfect year, guys. Wonderful job. Uh, this is the gift that I, I guess yeah. it won't keep on giving, but it's the gift we deserve. Um, so we'll likely have some locker clean out stuff early next week as the team tries to get the fuck out of Tampa. Yeah. If they, if they stay there at all, uh, according yeah. to our friend, Josh Lewinberg's, uh, report in TSN, uh, at TSN. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be, uh, a, a weird week closing it out. Um, but again, lots of off season stuff ahead. Once we kind of put the bow on the season early next week, we're going to get into cap primers and, um, free agent targets and draft prospects and all that good stuff. So theathletic.com slash we the six. Uh, if you don't have a subscription to the written site already, uh, now's the time. Everybody knows that games are fun, but transactions is is where the where the new subscribers come in. So uh, get after it, guys. Eric, one last time this year, pick the week ahead. I'm gonna try to get it uh, right, game for game, for the first time this year. And I think I've got to do something I've avoided doing all year, uh, I think, uh, and pick an O for week. I got to do it. Uh, They have no incentive to win these games. They're going to have some weird lineups. Uh, They're playing two teams that have clear incentive to win. Indiana more than likely will have something. I, I shouldn't say more than likely, but there's a good chance they'll have something to play for. Uh, gotta save Nate Bjorkman's job. <laughs> um, so, uh, 
Yeah, I, I'm picking an 0-4 week as the last hope for my salvation and what has been a truly awful year for the prospect of me as a prognosticator. All right, uh, I disagree. I think once the seven spot is locked up, so I guess after Chicago, I mean, we'll see how the mathematically turns out with Sacramento and Chicago's games, but uh, I think we're going to get one last Kyle Lowry game once the once the seven seed is locked in, I think he's gonna go. I think he's gonna go off. Uh, we'll get a we'll get a win. We'll get one last K Lo game. I mean, you're probably be... right because I never cease to be wrong about yeah. these things. Yeah. But I... he's gonna take like twelve pull up threes in transition. <laughs> well, Draw like five charges. He's gonna he's, he's gonna, gonna start be... the two for one calculations at six minutes. Yeah, we're gonna go like <laughs> like twenty two for twenty one, um, which is really just the whole game at that point. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, Eric, thank you so much for this, guys. We will. Um, there's obviously a lot ahead. Um, so, we, oh wow, um, that's sad news. Sorry, uh, news just came down that uh, Tony Brown, the referee, is going to miss the rest of the season uh, with pancreatic cancer. Ugh. So, uh, best, thoughts with yeah, him, and uh, hope he gets well soon. Uh, that's a downer way to end the podcast, but we we will talk to you. I'm not sure what day next week. Um, obviously, the season ends Sunday, but we're going to have to wait and see what the Raptors are doing in terms of locker cleanout, media availability, and stuff like that. But we will talk to you at some point early next week to set up the offseason and the big decisions ahead. Uh, thank you so much for listening all year. Enjoy this last week. Try to take some positivity from it in terms of the young guys and uh, the lottery pick you're all getting. And maybe one last Kyle Lowry Toronto Raptor game. Eric, thank you so much, man. Thanks, Blake. See ya. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.